Welcome to My Limited View with me, Sergio Novoa, where we share stories and expand our views. We all have a story. What's yours? What's yours? Welcome back to My Limited View. Uh, I want to give a special thanks to everyone who reached out and commented on the last episode um, where my guest, Graham Seven, shared uh, their journey being born intersex. So I'm really happy to see that people responded well to the episode. If you have not listened to it, it's the episode right before this one. Uh, check it out. Uh, today, we have a special guest. We have a pastor as a guest. Um, if you've been listening to my limited view, you know that my views on religion are a bit limited, uh, simply because I was brought up Catholic. And I was told on one hand that everything God created was good. And at the same time, I was bad for being gay. And at a very young age, I remember thinking these things are not making sense. The other issue I have with religion personally is that I never want to lose my ability to sit down and come to a conclusion about a decision or anything I'm struggling with. And I find a lot of people, you know, if something good happened to them, it's because God made it possible. If something bad, if they did something bad, the devil tempted them and there's no accountability for or taking responsibility for their actions. And something about that doesn't sit well with me. So... Um, as some of you know, when I moved to Southern, Southern California, I joined a gay kickball league and one of my teammates said he had to go do, he had to go to church and he was a pastor. And I was like, what? A gay pastor? People still do this thing? Um, so I wanted to interview him, uh, and find out. I don't know much about the Lutheran church. Um, once I was done with religion, I basically just put the book on the shelf and did not go back to it. So it was nice to have a discussion with someone who welcomes us to question the Bible and have a dialogue. And I found in Catholicism, uh, they didn't allow for that. It's, this is what it is, and that's it. And I remember as a child, that didn't make sense to me. So if it didn't make sense as a child, I definitely wasn't going to live my life as an adult. So it was nice to have a discussion about the Bible, about religion, and how Religion has been used to manipulate and control, but at the same time, it has been a tool to help and move uh, things along. And again, whether you're religious or not, my best friend is religious. Um, it, it's not my job to challenge it or question it. If it makes you a better person and you are a kind individual, hey, be whatever religion that is. I mean, I, I'd join the Care Bear gang if that's what it took. So uh, although my views and my views are a little bit skewed based on my experience. Uh, it was nice to hear a different side of things and see someone who is proud, gay, and has religion in their life and is happy to spread the word and they practice what they preach. So I hope you enjoy the interview. And all right, here you go. So welcome. My very special guest is the Pastor Caleb of the St. Andrew's Lutheran Church in West LA. He's also on the board of SoCal Lutherans which is geared more to LGBTQ people. So welcome, Pastor Caleb. How are you? Hi, Sergio. I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on the podcast. <laughs> uh, thank you. I, we met through kickball. Um, I decided to join kickball when I moved to LA to meet people. And I met Pastor Caleb. And when he told me he was a pastor, my jaw almost hit the floor. <laughs> it had nothing to do with him. It had more to do with my history with religion. So I thought he would be a perfect guest to discuss LGBTQ and religion and how these two worlds kind of reconcile. So how long have you been a pastor? So I've been a pastor for 10 years. I just celebrated my 10th anniversary last September. Um, and I have served the same church in Los Angeles for all 10 years. Wow. Now, I grew up Catholic. So there's a lot of work I've had to do to undo the Catholic guilt, shame, um, fear. And so I personally, when it came to religion, I started to think, uh-oh, this person's religious, walk away. They might be a little cuckoo. Uh, that being said, I have met three true and through hard core 
uh, core Christians who are genuinely kind, loving, accepting, forgiving. And I was like, oh, wow. If I would have grown up with people like that, I may have been religious myself. But for now, we're going to keep you guys over there while I stand over <laughs> here. How did this, is this something you knew you wanted? Like, is, is this a calling of yours? How did you come to this? Yeah, I, um, I've always loved church. I grew up in the church uh, in a small Midwestern town, and it was just an important part of my life growing up. Um, and I also struggled with uh, my sexuality and religion and trying to reconcile all of that. And it was a, a whole process that we can get into if you want to. But um, eventually I landed on a place uh, in, a, in a denomination that supports me and where I can find a theology that actually is empowering and affirming of who I am and doesn't try to make excuses or like do weird gymnastics to make to make the Bible say things it doesn't or whatever. It's um it's just a very open congregate uh denomination. And I'm a, so I'm happy that I found a place and I'm happy to be able to share a little bit about what that experience is like. <laughs> And is this is not the kind of church you went to as a child at all, or is it? I, I grew up in a Lutheran church, but there are two kinds of Lutherans in the United States. Uh, well, three technically, but there's basically conservative and liberal kinds of Lutherans. And I grew up in the conservative kind and uh, went to an independent Lutheran college. And during college, I switched to the liberal kind. <laughs> okay. So how did you start to reconcile being in a conservative Lutheran church and you discovering your sexuality. How was that? What was that journey like for you? Being that you liked the church. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure that it was analogous to a lot of people's. It was, um, I got a lot of negative image, uh, like negative messaging from clergy, from books that I would look at. So uh, when I was in middle school, I was like, oh, I'm going to go get, I got this book that I got at a Christian bookstore that was like God's answers to your questions or something like that. And it had all these questions about social issues. And then, and then like a rundown of Bible verses and appropriate Christian responses. Um, and there, it was like conservative AF. And I didn't realize it at the time because my whole world was also conservative. And so I thought, okay, well, that must be what homosexuality is. It's like this, it's this thing that uh, you don't want to be. Um, but then as I studied theology more, I understood that all of that stuff comes from somewhere. And that comes, and it is not the only message that's out there. And a lot of times, uh, Conservative theology, fundamentalist theology has its own history, and it is meant to keep people in place, to keep people conforming, to keep people uh, voting in the in the way that they want you to vote. And um, and once I could kind of see that 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 theology didn't just come from God directly into this little book, that this book came from a whole tradition, uh, and there were lots of other traditions out there, then I'd be began to explore my options. You see, actually, you just uh, nailed one of my problems with religion, the fact that it has been used to control people. So I feel like, okay, this thing has been created to manipulate and control. Why are we giving it more power than it needs? I remember I went to Peru and they took, I did a tour and they took us into one of the cathedrals and the Spanish were trying to teach religion through art and the natives started putting in their art things that were native to them, like llamas and guinea pigs and certain things. And that was their way of kind of putting themselves in there, making sure they weren't getting lost. So now as someone who is Latino, who, you know, we were colonized, I feel they use religion to control us and we're still giving religion this much power. Why? And that's how I find myself thinking in 2023. What would you say to someone as cynical as myself? <laughs> so first of all, um, I don't begrudge any of that cynicism whatsoever, because 
I, I felt it and, and I reflect it as well. That cynicism comes from real experience and I'm not, and I don't want to, to downplay that or disregard it at all because that stuff is real. So I always say, you know, especially for queer people, if the church has been abusive to you and you are choosing to to not have anything to do with religion anymore, that's good. Like then you're not being abused anymore. And that's, <laughs> that is what I think God wants for us, um, not to be in an abusive institution. Um, the church has been used to control people and that also has a whole extensive history. Um, and it, and certainly the horrible genocides that have been committed in the church's name in this continent and in others uh, continue, we continue to feel the effects of that. Um, there's a whole corner of theology called post-colonial theory and theology. And that is specifically pays attention to the ways in which colonized religion uh, manipulated whole populations or or killed lots of people um did all this bad stuff and how religion now is intermixing with that i'll just say this i thought that it was going to be when i studied that that it was going to be a very black and white story religion goes in and colonizes that's that's bad and then so then we need to get rid of religion and that will make, solve everything but actually, the nuances of what was going on are are pretty complex. And the stuff that religion brought in, the people from those colonized places, um, some of them react in a similarly cynical way, but some of them are actually pretty um, invested in the Christian tradition at this point. And so they see a lot of good stuff that has come from their tradition in their place. Um, the ways that it's uplifted populations and uh, who were neglected under old systems. And I think we tend to equate Christian colonization with the expansion of European power. And for sure, Christianity gets a bad rap from that and probably deserves it through that. But that's not the only way that Christianity exists in the world. Christianity started as this subversive movement that was against the abuse of religious power. Jesus is talking about the religious authorities all the time. Jesus is confronting the powers in his day and the ways that people manipulate each other all the time. And so, and the early church was also about finding those ways to subvert the ways that were kept apart and instead come together to support each other. Um, that movement of Christianity, that place where I find the Holy Spirit working is still happening. <laughs> I, you know, I have to admit, uh, I never heard anyone quite word it like that, but I did read the Bible. I didn't finish it, full disclosure. And at one point I went to audiobook because I was like, this is too much time, but I can listen the to audio, the audiobook's the way to go. <laughs> well, my audiobook was great because all the characters had different voices and there was background <laughs> music. I was like, oh, this is great. You should have told this was a production. Um, <laughs> And I write religious jokes sometimes, completely inappropriate, totally NPC. You know, I'm not a clean comic. I'm not a vulgar comic. The latest religious joke I've written was, as a child, I used to pray to God every night to make me like my brother. Little did I know all that time on my knees would end up coming handy when I eventually came out the closet. <laughs> Religion was part of my upbringing, but it wasn't used in a way to empower me. It wasn't used in a way to connect me to other people. It was this fear. And I remember uh, being Catholic, I went to communion. And I remember asking the priest who, by the way, was so hot. Oh, sweet Jesus. I wasn't fully aware of my sexuality at the time, but I was willing to go forth in sin with this man. I was like <laughs> fresh out of school. Oh, I must have been about 25, 30 years old at the time. You know, now what I know what a 25 may look. Oh, sweet Lord. I was, oh, I was so ready to pay, pray to the holy member. I mean, it was terrible. But I remember I had so many questions. And in Catholic religion, I didn't feel that they gave us a good explanation. 
And I go, why do we, why do we believe that? Oh, because, uh, because we do. And I remember at one point saying to him, no wonder other religions criticize us because we're not basing anything on facts. Can you imagine an eight-year-old talking back like this? I was a problem child, clearly. Um, but I remember feeling, you're telling me that God created me and that everything God makes is good. At the same time, you're telling me I'm a sinner because I'm gay. And at the time, I didn't have the vocabulary to express it. But I remember thinking as a child, wait, these things don't make sense. He made me, so how can I be bad if everything he makes is good? What do you have to say to that? I mean, that kind of yeah. internalized homophobia we end up carrying as we move through life. So I think that religious people throughout time, before Christianity, before anything that we knew as a religion, I think people have asked questions. I think that that's a basic thing about being human is where, where, why does the world work like it does? Where do things come from? And so to ask a lot of religions do want you to turn your brain off when you go. And I think that the, I don't think that that's healthy. And I don't think that it is actually what religion big picture wants us to do. So in the 1500s, one of the reasons that I'm in the Lutheran tradition is because of Martin, Martin Luther and the work that he did in the 1500s leading the Protestant Re uh, Reformation. So at the time, the, the Catholic Church was very much in control of everything. And, uh, and basically, you could buy your way into heaven. That's a big oversimplification, but we'll go with it. Basically, you could buy your way into heaven. And Martin Luther was like, that's not how any of this works, <laughs> and started asking questions, and eventually got kicked out of the church for asking too many questions. And uh, and then other people started asking questions, rulers started asking questions, and that turned into this beautiful multitude of Christianity that we have today. So I, I think that I, it's great to ask questions. I am one of those question askers too, because those contradictions, when you are having, when you're like, I know that God made me good. <laughs> I don't feel sinful. Uh, and there's nothing about my life that's hurting anybody. And there's only beautiful, good stuff being created here. Like God isn't against that. <laughs> and, and God's not against like any relationships that are life-giving, that are, uh, that are loving. Um, in the old, in Bible times, they didn't have a category for LGBTQ expressions. So when the Bible talks about queer people, the Bible doesn't, doesn't have a clear understanding of what queer people are. They don't have a way to like survey hundreds of thousands of queer people and understand that it's a biological fact of human existence they they understood it in very different terms when so there are some prohibitions in the bible and i don't think that it's and there are lots of different interpretations but i don't think that it's real healthy for us to pretend like they're not there mm -hmm. but when the bible is like a man should not have sex with another man the Bible imagines that happening in a context of domination. <laughs> the Bible understands that as a violent rape act. Because <laughs> the Bible doesn't have a category for same gender loving love that is mutual and consensual and expressive. The Bible doesn't, they don't, it, that's not a category. They didn't have that. I remember reading about that and saying that the original verse was a man should not lie with a child. The way he does with a woman but then also you know brings up a whole nother argument of the you know the bible was written hundreds of years after these incidents happened by men who we don't know how educated they were they were fishermen they were you know simple men so i'm sitting here thinking why are we giving so much power to this document that was written hundreds of years after the fact by people who were not um vetted and verified to see what they possess knowledge they possess that they're credible so here i'm thinking 2023 looking at the harm that's done to so many lgbtq people 
the way women are treated and represented and just how it's been manipulated by greed and power by men because men are you know men are mm-hmm. awful i've dated them and i'm one of them um so i sit here and i'm thinking why it's it's almost like the constitution when you have these really conservative supreme court justices say that, oh the constitution is a it's it you interpret as what it says it's not a living breathing document i'm like are you serious so we have to keep updating this to reflect society and still guide and provide a foundation um when i know people are going to argue that but it's like why is why are people so trapped i use the word trapped as i look think of my family by this thing and they have they're so passionate about it and they speak with such conviction, but cannot give you any tangible evidence of any kind, any kind that says, oh, this is why I feel this way. No, oh, it's in the Bible, so you know it's true. No, you don't. You don't know it's true. You can't, you can't verify that. What do you say to someone like that? Because you, you clearly, you read the Bible, I'm assuming, since you're a pastor, you're familiar with it. You've glanced at it once or twice. <laughs> So, and in Greek and Hebrew too, I have, uh, you have to go to school for a long time to be a pastor. (laughs) Um, So what I would say to that is that people who uplift the Bible into that particular, that like slot of inerrancy, um, where the Bible is this law code that can never be changed, that has no, uh, that is inflexible and perfect, that that way of thinking about the Bible is actually very new. Um, And it comes from the late 1800s. And uh, in the, and I'll just to kind of give you a a Cliff Notes history about this. After the enlightenment, uh, Europe is discovering lots of new things. They're trying to figure out where science fits in with with everything. Um, The church is wrestling with that too. And then, after the civil war in the United States, there's still this uh, Northern and Southern split. The Northern is being more liberal and trying to understand these in much more worldly ways. And there's a reaction against that in the North. The South is not really playing the same game. They're kind of doing their own thing, but the North has this very strong reaction against it. And so, whereas um, the North was saying, okay, well, we need to figure out how to talk about religion and science. And some people were saying, hey, science is actually giving us the actual answers about life. And some people were saying, well, it's actually kind of religion and science. Then there was a reaction against that that said, actually, the Bible is going to be the top of our pyramid, the, t- the thing that we worship, the inerrant scripture of truth forever and ever. And there are no errors in it or anything. I mean, you can you can look in the Hebrew manuscript and see the errors. <laughs> there, are, there are like misspellings and things that we don't know what they mean there's all kinds of stuff in any ancient document but throughout the bible for sure but that worship of the bible is very new and it's part of american fundamentalism and that's been used to hurt people and to try to control people yeah because one of the things that i struggled with was obviously the god created me how can i be bad the other thing and i don't know if it's specific to catholic religion this guilt that no matter if anything, I remember as a child, if anything bad happened to me, I would say to myself, oh, God must be punishing me for something I did in the past. Let me tell you, it it has taken years for me to get rid of that mindset. And it was Eckhart Tolle that I read and he said, people look at the word sin incorrectly. Sin is just you missing the mark. You had an opportunity to do something and you missed it. So maybe you catch it next time. As simple as that sounds, for me to read those words, it was like, oh my God, I'm, I'm not a sinner. I mean, I never thought I was a sinner to begin with, but it was so much in, ingrained in me that I am flawed and I'm, uh, I'm, I'm born a sinner that it, when I saw that, I was like, oh, what a, what a big difference. This literally takes a load off my shoulders. I didn't sin. I missed the mark. Let me try and catch this mark next time. That was one of my, my struggles with religion. How does the Lutheran church and guilt, how do they reconcile each other? Well, I think guilt is just uh, like, it's part of human experience in different ways, but there are certain Christian traditions that really dial it up (laughs) and ritualize it so that you 
you not only are going to uh, think theologically about guilt, you're going to internalize it for the rest of your life kind of guilt. And Lutheranism from the 1500s and on was like, uh, Luther was like the ultimate guilt poster boy. <laughs> he he was so guilty about stuff that he had to go to confession multiple times a day. He like got constipation really bad. He was always worried about his immortal soul and all these things because in his in his mind, he's been told that every time that he sins, he can't get into heaven unless he like does something to erase that sin. And so everything that he could maybe do, maybe keeps him away from heaven. And eventually he uh, understands the Bible in a different way. And the whole movement kind of grows out of that because in the Bible is this alternate strength. Cause I don't think guilt is new. I think the guilt is also in the Bible in different places, but there is a strand in the Bible that's very prominent when you tune into it of forgiveness and grace for each other because yeah, we're going to mess up, but actually like there, there's a difference between messing up and a crime. <laughs> and there's a difference between something that a uh, religion maybe thinks is inappropriate and a crime. <laughs> and there's, and I, I just think like, if we ground ourselves in God's grace first, we understand that no matter what, we are definitely going to make mistakes in this life. I'm going to make mistakes. You're going to make mistakes. Maybe. I don't make, I don't make mistakes. <laughs> yeah. Maybe a couple. <laughs> and then, and, but we're going to have grace with each other. We're going to have forgiveness for each other. We're not going to hold though. We're not going to keep a record of all that stuff. Oh, because we're grounded in imp being imperfect. <laughs> I'm not supposed to keep a record. Darn it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Gotta, gotta get rid of that. <laughs> yeah. But I think that that really helps with guilt because then we can reframe the things that might've made us feel guilty in a different way. We take away their power and we recognize that uh, when we're being manipulated by a guilt system, a guilt and shame system. And when that is uh, when it's unnecessary. So I don't think that gay sex is a sin. <laughs> I, I don't. And I don't think that being gay is a sin or, or being queer is a sin. I don't think that exploring your gender expression or your gender is a sin. I, I don't think that those things are sinful. Um, and, and I don't think that scripture gives a lot of support for calling things sinful and putting people into uh, categories forever and ever. Scripture gives a lot of grace. That's like the whole reason that, that, I mean, that can be one of the ways to interpret Jesus's whole thing, forgiveness, grace, liberation. Yeah. And I mean, I remember what I got out of the Bible, the, the sections that I read by the time I was done and I was like, okay, I mean, my selfish reasons for reading the Bible was because I wanted to have a better argument when people brought up the, well, the Bible says, and I wanted to be prepared. So I'm not going to lie. I was keeping track. I was keeping tabs. And I was like, I'm going to have my ammunition so I can fight back. But when I was done reading the Bible, what I walked away with, God is love. We are created in God's image. And anytime we are not acting from a place of love, we're not being God-like. And that's what I walked away with. And think about how bold queer people are to love in a through hate, <laughs> through a hateful system to bring love into a world that doesn't have a space for them, I, for us. I just think that it's it's really amazing and a testament to what God is still doing in the world. <laughs> well, the other thing, too, that my grandmother would always say or Catholics would always say, God sacrifices only son for your sins. And I thought, well, if that's the case, I got to live it up. I got to make sure that sacrifice was worth as well. Like, <laughs> I'm going to exhaust this body to the, I mean, <laughs> I'm going to make sure he realizes, you know what, that sacrifice was worth it. Sure <laughs> did. Um, and that was kind of my way of being kind of snarky. But at the same time, it's like, okay, if, if he did sacrifice his son, I want to make sure it was worth this sacrifice. Like, you know, I remember feeling so much guilt and shame. Uh, let, I'll start with masturbation. 
masturbation was such a bad thing. And what I find now as an adult, why are adults pushing this nonsense on children? We all know masturbation is not bad, but this is how much it played a role on me. One, I'm right-handed. So when I discovered it, unfortunately, I discovered masturbation, masturbation through my cousin trying to molest me. So mm. not a good way to get exposed to it. But I remember thinking, okay, if I am going to do this thing, I cannot use my right hand because I use that hand for everything. I have to use my left hand. So here's one area where guilt and shame were starting to play a role. And then I thought, I can't use my whole hand because I use this hand for so many other things. I need to use as few fingers as possible to get this done so I'm not deeping, you know, dipping so much into sin. I guess that was the logic of a 13, 14-year-old. And then no one, of course, no one ever sat me down and told me about the birds and the bees and what happens. I remember when I learned about masturbation, I was about eight. And I would do it, but since I wasn't climaxing, it was this kind of like, <sighs> like it would never reach that eureka moment. And then I think it was about 14 when it finally did, I had no idea what was happening. All of a sudden it was, uh, whoa. And then I was like, oh, this is gross. <laughs> and, and I was like, I don't want it on me. And to this day, I have to admit, I'm not a fan of cum and I have a hairy chest and a hairy stomach. So I make this joke. I go, oh, I hate cum. You know, if a guy's riding me and then he comes on me, it's all over my chest and I have to like wipe it off. It's so annoying. And I'm thinking now, as I'm talking to you, that started with this guilt of use your left hand, use as few fingers as possible. You shouldn't be doing this. And mm -hmm. here I am now as a full grown adult, this thing is still impacting me. I think so many of us learn. And then that crappy sex ed from church is than what is like allowed to be taught in schools. And so in school, we have this, we have sex ed that is devoid of pleasure. <laughs> that's devoid of the emotional and response and relational responsibilities of, of sexual relationships. Like we aren't getting any of that actually taught to us in healthy ways. And so, so many of us have that experience where we, we come to sex and sexual experience with a whole bag of guilt and shame and all kinds of other stuff that we've been carrying around and not to mention potential trauma and abuse in past situations. And undoing that and unlearning it is a lifelong process. There's not like a, a very easy way to just undo that. But, but there is an easy way to not pass that on to the next generation. And I think that now more progressive Christianity is starting to understand that. And there are some organizations um, that are promoting healthy sex sexuality in Christian denominations. And I think that that is a really cool thing that's happening. One of the things that I'd like to discuss, you mentioned Martin Luther. I don't know much about the Lutheran church or the other. I mean, I know there's so many different Pentecostals and Jehovah Witnesses and everything else. I was brought up Catholic. Um, my best friend is Muslim. So I have a little bit of an idea of his religion. And when I was reading the Bible, he, he, we would compare. He said, oh, in the Quran, this person is portrayed this way. And I was like, oh, wait, you guys have the same individuals. So that was, which gave me another argument. Wait a minute. Muhammad, now Lutheran, someone along the way said, you know what? I'm going to do my own thing. And it's like, if it's that easily changeable, <laughs> maybe religion as a whole is a problem. Like, it, you know, it's not like a puzzle piece is more unique. It only fits one spot. So that was my argument to him. <laughs> I, I guess I think that religion is always changing, uh, just like culture is always changing. The origins of Islam uh, have a particular context and a particular time and, and what was going on in that region of the world. And there are lots of books written about that. Martin Luther's movement also comes from a particular context. And I think his uh, context is relevant for us because there's a lot of that, the same dynamics of the Roman Catholic Church are still at play and have been taken up, up by lots of other Christian denominations too. So I religion is always changing um, and always adapting to what is going on. And I think that one way of thinking about it, I mean, you can think about religion as like systems of control or 
belief systems, but I think uh, people have used religion in lots of different ways, but uh, also as methods of liberation. The church has been instrumental in the equal rights movement in this country, in civil rights movement, in queer rights movement, in women's rights movements. The church has been on the forefront of all of those things. Um, the church and other religious movements, other religions have also been there too. And I'm not sure that it's, uh, at least from my perspective, I, I'm not really ready to get rid of that stuff uh, because I'm not sure that we have a, like a clear ethical uh, science, like sciencey guide or whatever, something that's not religious to guide us to be better people. I'm not sure that it exists yet. <laughs> But when it does, maybe it'll be a new religion and we will all do that. Which leads to an internal conflict I have. If I was not brought up Catholic and I was brought up either as a non-believer or a different religion, my beliefs would be based on what my family ingrained. It just made part of me. Isn't that in itself an argument that why do we need this religious thing to guide us? Um, well, first of all, um, I guess when you say when you talk about religion as a thing, mm -hmm. it's important to know that that is a very European construction. Okay. <laughs> and so the the idea that religion is its own separate category of thing to be discussed or learned about or its own sort of uh, package of knowledge section of the bookstore, like that's a very European construction that comes after the Protestant Reformation in the time of the Enlightenment. In other cultures and other parts of the world, religion isn't something that you can just like separate out from culture that you can opt into or out of um, in the same way that that we kind of think about it in the West. Gotcha. Um, and so it becomes a lot messier than whether or not we can just like get rid of this thing when the thing is actually bound up with our humanness, with our whole culture, with everything that we do that guides our lives from birth to death. And a broad view of religion sees all those intricacies. Because <laughs> if it's just like this, this like thing over here that we can take or leave, that's a very, that's like, saying, okay, uh, that's a very strong argument for secular also being a thing over here that we should do instead. Yeah, I mean, I, I hear what you're saying. And I think one of the the arguments I've had in the past, the good news about me is that I'm not going to knock on your door and try to convert you not to believe in God. Uh, but I have so many religious people who tell me that my views are wrong and that I need to follow their views. And I'm like, mm, you see, I'm not I'm not trying to change your mind. I just don't believe in what it is they believe in. Now, what you've described, that sounds appealing to me. Uh, the three people that I know who are religious, who are true Christians, they're lovely. I'm like, oh, wow, I would have been a religious person myself had I been exposed to it like that. But I think I remember going to Catholic school and the people who sat in the front and they were so lovely and kind, but you took them out of church and they were awful. And I remember telling my grandmother at age of six, seven, thinking, those people are terrible. And she's like, don't say that. You're not supposed to say that. They, they, and I was like, <laughs> they are. I go, they're so nice at church, but outside of church, they were so nasty. So I remember myself thinking, your teachings and your behavior are not matching. Keep in mind, those are flawed humans, just like we are. So mm -hmm. now I can say, okay, Sergio, you cannot expect them to be perfect. That being said, they were preaching this thing and yet behaving in an very unholy way and just nasty to people. And I'm like, I may not be religious, but if I see you suffering, if you're hungry, if you need my help, I will take my shirt off my back and give it to you to help you. And I don't put it on God. Um, the other thing that would bother me is that if you made it, if you sinned, according to them, the devil tempted you. And if you did something well or something good happened to you, God did it for you. I'm like, where's your willpower? You have control. Like, that sounds insane to me. So these were the things that made me walk, well, as soon as they started attacking me for being born the way I was, I started thinking, eh, you know, I'm not sure how I feel about religion. I need to, but I feel this way about anything. I need to always be able to go back to my corner 
and make my own decision based on how I feel and what my gut is telling me, whether it's religion, a boyfriend, a relative, a cult, a, a kickball team, whatever it is, it doesn't matter. I never want to lose my compass to be able to know when it's time for me to make a left. And I find a lot of these organized uh cultish, religious, whatever it is, life coaches. Sometimes I've met some, some of those. I'm like, okay, you drank the Kool-Aid. Easy there, cowboy. Um, and I'm always grateful as a non-believer. I'm grateful to God <laughs> that he gave me enough sense to be able to say, Sergio, something's not right here. Um, unfortunately, no one teaches us to look inward, to really find those answers. And if we are made in God's image and God is in us, the answers are not out there. The answers are already in here. Now, it doesn't mean that we cannot seek guidance, inspiration, knowledge from others who are either just smarter than us or have different life experiences. But I think if religion or in general, people made a shift to teach us to look inward, I think we would be able to take religion in a little, a little bit easier and be able to filter and be like, oh, here are things that I can actually use that I think are better for mankind as a whole, as opposed to your sinner you're guilty. And also this whole heaven and hell. Are you nuts? It's like, I don't believe in that nonsense. So I'm not going to go to either. I will be just fine wherever I end up. I mean, and who knows where I'll end up? I'll be dead. Sergio, uh, I just want to, to say that um, some of the things that you just said right now are things that Jesus also said. <laughs> you see, I mean, I knew he and I got, would get along just fine. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's um, like Jesus was all about helping other people, even if, um, like, uh, giving people the clothes or food that they need, just helping people. And Jesus called out people who are hypocrites all the time, uh, especially religious leaders, people who sit up front. Um, he talked about the law of God being written on your heart. <laughs> you're letting God's law, God, like you're letting your heart drive you. And that's the same thing. And that loving your neighbor is a guiding ethic of who you are. And that's like the core of Christianity. So what it's, be unfortunately, like over 2000 years, and when there's power and politics and money and all kinds of stuff involved, it all gets really corrupted. <laughs> it all gets really taken out of context. So in my tradition, the Lutheran tradition, uh, Martin Luther decided he needed to turn left <laughs> in his life. He was like, this, this can't continue. <laughs> uh, somebody's got to stand up. Somebody's got to say something. Somebody's got to bring the Pope to task. Um, and there were people that tried before him and they got killed. <laughs> and Martin Luther happened to have this uh, prince who was protecting him so he could get away with saying all this, and a printing press, so he could get away with saying all this stuff. Um, but one of the, but I just wonder, like, what if we framed Protestantism or Luther, the Lutheran tradition as uh, not, what if religion didn't have to be right all the time? What if religion wasn't obsessed with having all of the answers all the time to every question and instead, like, wandered with people and discerned with people and tried to meet people's needs and showed up? to care for people first. <laughs> and I think that's what a lot of progressive Christianity is all about, is trying to get to that core of Christianity that Jesus was preaching about, and, uh, and because it's still going on and it never stopped, it just got buried. <laughs> and I think that's one, what you said, religion having to always be right. There is no room for discussion. You either drink the pill or you don't. And I always find, mm -hmm. well, how can you sit here and tell me that I am this living, breathing thing that can make my own decisions and you want me not to question this? It, it, it makes, for someone like me, that is just like you're suffocating me. It doesn't make any sense. So Lutheran, Martin Lutheran, so he was able to break away from a Catholic church, from the Catholic church and form his own religion kind of, so to speak, kind of like the Church of England? Sort of, only um, it was it was more theologically based and the Church of England was a little bit more politically based at the time. Um, uh, you know, you can debate about medieval history, 
but Martin Luther did not intend to start his own religion. He didn't. He never wanted to break away from the Catholic Church. He really wanted to reform the Catholic Church. He really wanted to change it. He believed in the Catholic Church. He uh, he really liked Mary. He liked doing all the sacraments. He really found a lot of grounding in the Catholic tradition, and he wanted it to be better than selling tickets to heaven. And and so he tried to bring all of these reforms, and the church was not having it. And they tried to kill him. And he had to go into exile for a long time. And then, uh, and they started calling, the church actually started calling them, his him and his followers, Lutherans. So it was a pejorative term. Got it. Yeah. So weird. Uh, like queer, yeah. And they reclaimed it. <laughs> and like queers. <laughs> like queers, yeah. So okay. yeah, uh, there's something kind of similar in that tradition. Okay. So he, he didn't start his own religion. He just basically wanted to rat, rattle the cage and the powers that be were not open to that, which is Correct. Still, still the same thing happening with Catholic religion. Um, yeah, and, and it still happens in the Lutheran tradition too. I think that I, I don't want to paint the Lutheran tradition as like this wonderful place where everybody can be happy uh, in their religion for the rest of their lives because there's it's a real religion <laughs> with all the real problems. And as a queer person, we we fought really hard for a really long time, for decades, to be able to be out clergy people. <laughs> and that only happened in 2009. Wow. But so this is coming from someone who doesn't attend religious event, events. Do Lutheran pastors and Catholic priests, do they hang out? Like, is there like a convention where all these people come together? Or do you guys stick to your own corners? Uh, in in religion world, more or less, people kind of stick to their own people who speak the similar sort of theological language. But I've got Catholic priests that are friends. Uh, I know other Lutheran clergy are connected with Catholic priests. Um, and a lot of other priests. We have... Uh, friends that are rabbis, friends that are uh, serve in other, as imams or other religious settings. We have friends that are not religious. Uh, so, but I think that, uh, and we get, we don't ever like get together in like big conferences because usually the denominations kind of structure their own conferences and the Catholic church is a little bit more, uh, place things a little bit more close to the vest. So they, um, they're interested in being in dialogue with us, but they don't necessarily want to be contaminated by us. Contaminated in some ways. Word. <laughs> well, I mean, again, so, I, and I don't yeah. mean to challenge you. You've been very nice at expressing your your passion and the, a nice way to look at religion. But I even see that as a problem. It's like you have all these religions who are not willing to come together because they don't want to contaminate each other's views. That right there is a problem. I feel like if yeah. If you have to hold on to something so tight and that you're afraid to take any new information in because it might challenge your views, it's a problem. Like you should be open to having your views challenged. I, I do want to say something favorable about the Catholic tradition. They are dealing with a much with an enormous volume of humans. And so they're dealing like they're kind of doing things on a different scale than a lot of other Protestant denominations. Um, so the conversations that they're having are just kind of uh, categorically different, but they are engaged in their own way. So the Lutherans and the Catholics have actually been in dialogue to try to figure out a way if they're, after 500 years of kind of not liking each other, if there is some way that we can cooperate and share communion together. The Lutherans are open to it. We, we're like, yes, we're ready to talk about this and maybe repair some of that stuff because the theological stuff has kind of been cleaned up. Not all of it. <laughs> um, but we did issue a thing that said uh, in 1999, they came up with a statement from the Lutherans and the Catholics that said, uh, basically, at least we believe that each other is not going to hell. <laughs> After 500 years, it took us 500 years. So we finally got to that point. <laughs> <laughs> These are all arguments that make me question religion that much more. One argument yeah. that I always had with religion, well, especially Catholicism, I don't know if it's true for all other religions, that 
Please, can I get married or have children? Now, when I did a little digging, and this was years ago, I found out that originally they could get married and they could have children. But the problem the church had is that when the priests were dying, instead of leaving their money to the church, the money was going to their family. So for me, if I'm outside looking in and I see that, nope, this religion is bad. Like if you can change and also not only change something that's so normal, you are taking away a basic human need and desire. That's like saying you can't drink water. It's something I remember thinking and knowing about sex prior to my cousin molesting me and kind of thinking to myself like, oh, there's this thing. How can you sit here and deprive someone of such a basic human need? And you still have thousands of people saying, yes, this is the way to go. And to me, that sounds insane. In the Bible, Paul is like uh, the Apostle Paul, who is not always seen as in great light with the LGBT uh, with our community, but um, but he says pretty explicitly, like, if you can't, if you're not somebody who feels called abstinence, that's not for you. Don't do it. Yeah. And somehow the somehow uh, that piece of scripture gets kind of conveniently overlooked. <laughs> Martin Luther had a big problem with that as one of one of the main things that he was arguing about with the Catholic Church at the time, and um, and one of the foundational one of the reasons that he bounced um and eventually he ran away he got married to a nun <laughs> they were doing their own thing and they a lot of the reformers got married to nuns um back then so and the, but the catholic church has has doubled down on that over and over and over again and i think in a way that led them to a place that's super unhealthy where they were covering up abuse sexual abuse and that's you know that's their house to to try to clean up these are all the things that for me, I was like, you know what, we're gonna, we're gonna step away from this. This is a little bit more than I care for. And again, I never want to lose the ability to look inward and find the answers. So if I'm relying on, oh, once I talk to my therapist, I'll feel better. No, once I talk to my life coach, or my, it's like, I'm, and maybe because I was brought up in an environment where people try to silence me as a child and take it and took advantage of me physically, emotionally, and sexually. I think I'm, I'm kind of hypersensitive to when someone's trying to do that as an adult, I'm like, Oh, wait a minute. I've been here before. So I never want to lose the ability to find the answer. A book that I read that actually was very helpful for me, Zealot by Reza Aslan. Yeah. Very good. I was like, Oh, this really simplifies and, what I really appreciated is how we misinterpret or take literal the passages in the Bible. And he said, these passages are to convey a message. You're not supposed to take them word for word. But when you do the historical comparison of Jesus's time to what's written in the Bible, you get to see where things kind of match and where they don't. And that was actually very helpful for me to make this, you know, this document that it's this Thing beyond comprehension it made it very tangible and I remember thinking oh okay this helps me understand religion a little bit better and it also shows how flawed it is and it's okay that it's flawed just the way we're flawed so that's a book I would recommend to anyone who wants a better understanding and is not afraid to have their views challenged read Zealot I thought it was a very good book I, I also thought that that was a great book um his I read his first book on, um, maybe it wasn't his first, but it, his book on Islam that I found really engaging and uh, enlightening. And so I was excited when he wrote a book about a tradition that I actually know something about. And it was really interesting to see how he, the sources that he brought in, those things that he, that he lifted up, and the ways that he talked about religion and Jesus. And uh and I think he did a really good job of contextualizing him. Uh, I'm not sure that he was like quite up with where biblical scholarship is at in terms of analyzing all of those different details. Um, but he's he's doing something for a popular audience, for a lot of people to be able to connect with. And I felt like it was really uh, a very interesting contribution. <laughs> yeah, I, I thought it was for me. It was it was a bit helpful. Um, and I, I remember talking to friends about this. And when I was reading the Bible, I would call my religious friends and I go, hey, so I'm reading this section here. 
I'm a little stuck. What, what, and it was very interesting to see people's explanation of things. And some of it was helpful. And other times I'm like, oh, you drank the Kool-Aid. You are just taking these words and that's got it. And again, if here's my belief. If you feel that you need religion and it makes you a better person, who am I to stop you? Knock yourself out. Go to, you know, if you're better because you go to the gym, go to the gym, you know, like to me, there's, there's no difference. Now, all that being said, as anti-religion as I sound, I do like the traditions and the teachings that I think can make us all better. You know, I don't necessarily pray before every meal, but I think taking a step and a beat to say, hey, I'm grateful that I get to eat. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, one of my cousins, she's going through, um, she's converting to Judaism and we can't do anything on Fridays because Friday is a big day for them. Um, and then when she was explaining it to me, I don't care what you guys call that day. I think getting together and having that moment to reflect and bond, that's great. So I like these things that I think make us better as humans. And I like the teachings. I don't necessarily, uh, there was a shirt I saw in San Francisco and it said, Jesus, save me from your followers. It's like, I, it's a shame that these really good teachings get kind of warped into this manipulation, control, you're a sinner, and narrow-mindedness, because I feel that if people really read the Bible, as a non-believer, I walk the way thinking God is love, and everything we do should be love, and when we don't, we're not being God-like. Now, if as a non-believer, I walk away with this, how is it that you're walking away with such terrible interpretation? Like, I am puzzled by when people throw the Bible at you, and I'm like, wait, that's what you got out of this book? Really? There's so many great things and you walked away with this? It's shocking. So if anyone wanted to explore religion and they wanted to see what the Lutheran church is about, where can they find you? Because you're going to be the contact person for all Lutherans. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, well, they can certainly uh, reach out if uh, through St. Andrew's Lutheran Church um, through our website, uh, www.standrews-wla.org. Um, that's probably the best way to to reach me, and um, and I would encourage people to go to if they want to find a Lutheran church where they're at, or or some other church. There are a few different website clearinghouses where you can go and find a progressive church that's going to tell you ninety percent of the same stuff that I'm saying. Um, and so there's one that's called GayChurch.com, and you can search on there for different churches that might be friendly. Sometimes they're Lutheran, sometimes there are other denominations. And then the Lutheran uh, organization, the big one is called Reconciling Works. So reconcilingworks.org. And um, and you can go on there and plug in your address and it will tell you what uh, LGBT affirming Lutheran churches are in your area. And I think that's a really great place to start because uh, listening to somebody, there's there are a lot of religious leaders out there and we, like to talk. So, so you can listen to podcasts or read books all day, but once you actually go and meet some folks and connect, I think that's just a much better way to understand and to start to heal some of these uh, religious traumas that we've, as queer people have experienced in our lives. Because there are things that we can benefit from, from the teachings of Christ and teachings of God that are, are getting lost by the religious followers. Thank you for, for sharing insight into religion and Lutheran re, Lutheran church. I knew nothing about it, I have to admit. Um, <laughs> once I shut off my brain to religion, I was like, oh, we're cutting it all off, which I realized in itself is flawed. You know, I don't believe in that I need to go to a specific place any particular day of the week to say a, a certain ritual to feel connected to a higher power than myself. I do know that there is a higher power than myself and Madonna. Um, and then I, I find myself meditating, praying, self-hypnotizing myself at times and where I want good, not just for me, but for all around me. And, um, and I've, I've kind of chosen that path, but it is nice and refreshing to hear that there is a section of religion that can be welcoming and non-judgmental, and that also questions itself. Uh, so thank you for giving that insight, I have to admit. And um, we'll have to go out and sin one of these days. <laughs> see, see you in WeHo. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing like WeHo to say, sinner. 
our ride pastor. Kate, thank you so much for doing the podcast. I I will chat with you soon. Hopefully, we'll play kickball at some Thanks, point. Thanks, Sergio. Alrighty, bye. Bye. We, we all have a story. story. What's, What's yours? yours? What's yours?